Well, everybody, happy new year, and uh, new year, new sermon series, a whole bunch, same Josh, though, so uh, we're going to be talking about the sacred community, and it, it's really exciting, but uh, I, I started off, and I, I, I have fear and trepidation about using anything from uh, a, a movie, because I think everybody's going to think, oh, Josh is endorsing that movie, not, not so, Office Space, which I've seen a long time ago, if you've ever worked a nine-to-five job, there's something cathartic about this movie. And what I remember is that the, the scene where they break the printer, right? And they just go to town breaking it. And I tell Leah time and time again, like, I hate printing. Of all the technology that's ever been around, printing is the worst. So that, that feels good to my soul. And there's this scene here where two guys are, are interviewing uh, the existing employees to figure out if they should keep them on board or not, or whether they should be fired. And after explaining that this guy's job description is to take specs from a, a customer and to the software engineers and that he doesn't even do that, but he has a secretary do that, they ask him this question, what would you say you do here? And, and, and that's all I remember. And then I went back to, to revisit some of the context. It's inappropriate, y'all. No pastor should be recommending that movie. So forget all the rest of that. But this quote really was, was what I wanted to kind of pull out of here. What would you say you do here? And I think in the new year, a lot of us are trying to figure that out. You know, it, it kind of feels, at least in our souls, like, what are we doing differently? Like, what, what are we about? You know, what do I want to do in this year? It, it, it's, it's a, when we mark the passing of time, I think it causes us to look at ourselves, to look at our circumstances, and try to figure that out. Uh, ironically, I'm not trying to preach about the church because it's the new year. This was actually already in, in slate before I kind of even realized the transition. It's also a great follow-up, by the way, from talking about the fruit of the Spirit, where we've been for a number of weeks, talking about ourselves as individuals to talking about us as a community. So I was like, oh, this is win-win. This is as, as if I had this planned. Um, but I think that there's a whole lot for us in this season to look at us, church, ourselves, and for us to look collectively and say, what, what do you say that we do here? And why do we do it? Um, our national director, Jay Pathak, talks about before he was a Christian, he was attending Young Life, and he participated in what he called Christian karaoke, because he's like, I don't know what we're doing. Like, all of a sudden, we're just singing these songs, and it's Christian karaoke. Um, numerous people talk about church being like the most repetitive book study ever, because it's the same book every single week, and, and I can understand that. John Wimber, who came from Las Vegas, he talks about the show that he saw on stage. You know, so th this outsider's perspective on, on what they see church as kind of speaks to a little bit of what we do here, but is that what we're about? Is it a show? You know, is it just trying to, to come together and sing some songs and, and feel some feels, you know, or, or what is actually going on whenever we gather in the name of Jesus? Um, I think that the fear that I have is when we in the church preach about the church, uh, I've come across this phrase, and it, it's this idea of, of self-indulgent navel-gazing, and, and if you don't know that phrase, I, I just thought that was pretty great. Um, I came across this phrase again, and it's, it, I'm using it too often. Leah has said, You're, you keep saying navel-gazing. I was like, yeah, it's just a good descriptive phrase. You know, It's this idea of like being so narcissistic Right, that we just look at ourselves in the mirror lovingly, longingly, just like, oh, aren't we so great? You know, or trying to figure things out and be like, I'm so obsessed with myself that I don't even notice the world going on around me. So whether we love or hate ourselves, whether we're, we're, we're so prone to just be focused on ourselves, it's this hyper-obsession with who we are 
that often comes at the detriment of what the world actually needs and who our Father is. So I think that the danger sometimes in preaching about the church is exactly that. You know, it's like, well, you're in the church already. You know, we're in the, if you're looking for a sermon online and you come across a, a sermon on the church, it's like, again, well, this isn't telling me too much about what the church thinks about themselves. You know, what, what are they doing for the world? What are they, who is their father? Who is that whole thing? So I don't want to be navel-gazing through the series, but I, I think that um, from conversations I've had here and there with people in this room, I think I could give you 10 different answers as to why we gather and to what we do and why we do what we do. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think that that's kind of the state of where things are. If people in the same room focus on different things, is that good? Is that bad? Is that indifferent? Is that healthy? Is that unhealthy? Well, it could be all those things, but I think it warrants looking at and understanding who we think we are, who the Lord's called us to be, how we're, we plan on working this thing out. It's really a, a good grounding foundational thing. So a, a little bit of behind the scenes. One of the things that's personally hard for me to navigate so when a new person starts coming to the church, uh, they have a church history often, right? Or they don't have a church history, which is also an interesting thing. But they come with expectations. And they come into the room expecting certain things, like to have Sunday school, to have nursery, to have coffee made, or, or to be, for the pastor to come by and visit them at this point in time, or to, to do all these things that they might expect from whatever they've had beforehand. I'm a people pleaser, and I will hear those expectations, and I'll think, oh, I should be doing that right? So if you come to me and say, Josh, why don't we blah? I'm going to be like, ooh, maybe we should. Not necessarily a good, healthy thing for a leader, but that's, I think, how this kind of works, right? We bring expectations into the room, and what, whether we're aware of that or not, it affects kind of how we interact with each other. The, the sad side of, of it is that when certain expectations, and maybe they're never articulated and never understood, when they're not actually met, People feel disease. You know, they, they, they don't feel comfortable. They feel a dissatisfaction about why hasn't this happened? Why aren't we doing this thing which I think is so important? And you might not be able to articulate what it is, but you're feeling like, I don't know that we're doing what we should be doing. And it, it's that idea of understanding again, well, what should we be doing? If, if we can articulate, if we can tell you what we think we're about, and if you can understand what you think the church should be on, and if those overlap, well, well, great, we're on the same page, let's figure this thing out together. But if we have that, that, that difference, let me tell you, in a wonderful, wonderful way, the kingdom of God is a broad place. You know, th this whole series isn't meant to be a, a thesis on what the church should be universally in every single place. Okay, I, I don't think that that actually exists. I think what the church is in, in Africa, what it is in Russia, what it is in Ukraine right now, what it is in, in Cuba, what it is in, uh, in America, are unique, different, wonderful expressions. What it is in a Baptist church, what it is in a Lutheran church, what it is here is a unique and different thing, and that's a good thing. The diversity in the kingdom of God is beautiful. Now, we can't be in this single room, all things to all people all the time, we're not called to be that. So sometimes you, you realize if there's things you're looking for that we are just simply not going to be able to do, God bless you. And that's not a judgment. That, that's not a, a cutting off. There's no hate. There's no malice. It's just the nature of a wonderfully big, diverse kingdom of God where we get to celebrate and see the full expression of who the king is in this wonderful world we have. So hear this. Um, those understandings, these expectations, they might not be right or wrong, but the question always is, are we the community that's functioning as God has called us? Uh, when Leah and I heard the call to plant a church in Holly Springs, one of the questions that we asked is, but why? 
You know, there, there's already churches in Holly Springs, you know? What is it that he's called us to be that is distinct and different, that brings something to the table, that, that is allowing the people of God in Holly Springs or the surrounding communities to experience something that they might not be able to experience in other churches? And it's not trying to find that edge and trying to, to work the, the demographic or the market, but really is saying, God, what do you call us to be? Is that, is that to accompany other, other things? Is it, is it to come alongside other things? Or is it to be a new church? And the Lord said that he wanted us to be a new church. I think some of that is just even the, um, quite frankly, the size, I think is beautiful and allows us to do so many things in depth in the people in the, that come here as a part of the community. Um, it's wonderful to be a part of an intimate family. So I thank God for the diversity of churches, truly. Uh, but the more we know ourselves, the more we know our calling, our function, our place, we can be more content and function as a part of the greater whole. The better that we are as the Vineyard Church of Holly Springs, I believe the better the kingdom of God is in our own communities, in our own homes, and all of those things, because we're being who we're meant to be. So there's four kind of areas that we're going to be talking about throughout these next few weeks. Uh, this is looking at the church, the world's understanding of the church. That's kind of like an outsider perspective. We're going to be looking at where our church fits inside the greater kingdom of God. That's like an insider family perspective. Uh, we're going to be looking at, at how we ourselves understand and function as a church. That's a, a personal perspective. It's a good follow-up from that last series, like I said, on the fruit of the Spirit. Um, this is corporate where that was personal. And the fourth area, which is going to be in all of those things and is probably the most important of those things and might not get articulated and broken out, is this idea of God's plans, purposes, and calling for us, specifically as the church. Um, that's clearly the most important thing for this. So to kick off this series, how did we get here? How did the church get here? Y'all know Talking Heads, 1980s, early 1990s band, anybody? The song, Once in a Lifetime. You may find yourself living in a shotgun shack. You may find yourself in another part of the world. You may find yourself behind the wheel of a large automobile. You may find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife. You may ask yourself, well, how did I get here? And I think often we don't figure out how we got here. And we just look around, we marvel at the space, and we're like, what are we supposed to do with what we have here? But understanding how we got to this place as a church is really interesting. So what do I mean when I say, how did we get here in the context of sacred community? I mean, tons of denominations. You look across America, and where the world might see division, there is diversity. But there are tons of denominations. I mean that we have once-a-week services on Sunday. I mean that you come in, you grab some coffee, you listen to some announcements, you sing some songs, you listen to some scripture reading, maybe you have a little snack or so, right? Some bread, some juice. You listen to someone talk and tell stories and ask some questions. And if you're in a crazy place, maybe they pray for you at the end. And then we go on our way and you're over by 12, 1230 and everybody's happy. Th that's not the only way to do this thing. In fact, there's so much diversity in the kingdom of God that, that if you come from a more traditional liturgic background, um, that is going to feel foreign to you. And you're going to think, when do I stand and when do I sit? And, and where are the robes and where are the tablecloths and, and where's the church calendar that we're following these things? Or if you go to another country and they're not even meeting on Sundays, they're meeting on a different day, you know, and maybe they, they meet in people's homes and all of these sorts of ways that the kingdom of God looks. How did we in evangelical America end up with this kind of format that is almost indistinguishable from any other church that you come to. 
And so maybe the more involved you get in the, one of these communities, maybe you're the one then who gets the coffee. Maybe you're the one who sings the song. Maybe you're the one who shares your stories. But that's like kind of where we go from here. Like we have this formula and then where you go from here is to be a more of an active participant in that. And is that really what church is about? Uh, try to find that formula in the Bible. It's not in there. Nowhere in there does it talk about coffee once, you know. <laughs> hospitality. There's hospitality. It's not there. So I don't know if it's just because we're right after Christmas, but I was writing this. I actually, I meant to bring up the, the slide for this. I don't think I grabbed it, but it's like the Grinch and Christmas where he goes, maybe Christmas means just a little bit more, you know, and I, I think that this is the thing. Maybe being a part of the sacred community means just a bit more, all right, and none of this, uh, none of this actually has to do poorly with this formula, okay, there's nothing wrong with even the, 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 the factor of how we do these things. But if it's unexamined, if we just fall into a routine of this, if we don't understand why we sing songs, if we don't understand why we want the table to be central, if we don't understand why opening the word of God matters, then, then I, I fear that, that we're just living an unexamined life. And that won't serve the community of God. That won't serve us to do anything more than maybe doing the same thing longer right? I, I, I've said this uh, many times, but, you know, I have a day job. I have a nine to five. A lot of things that I can fill my time with. I don't want to just keep the lights on. The Holly Springs doesn't just need another church. It doesn't just need another place to, for Christians to gather and to read a book together. There, there's got to be something that we're called to do, something about who we're called to be that matters, or why are we even doing this? Why don't we all just form one large church and, and just do our thing and then move on? The fact is, it does have to mean a little bit more. What we do really should matter. And any time that we forget that, any time we fall into this routine, any time we just think that I'm just going to do the same thing that I've always done, I fear that we're forgetting who we are and what we're called to be. So what are churches supposed to be? Are they supposed to educate people on the truth? Are they supposed to provide a safe place for practicing the gifts and the talents? called to be a place to heal? Are they called to be a place of encouragement to build you up with confidence? A place to, to challenge us from becoming too worldly? A place to find our best friends? What in this is central? What in this is peripheral? What happens on purpose? What happens circumstantially, naturally over time? These questions, these hopes, these understandings that we have, they define how we come in, where we engage, what we do. They, they challenge who participates and how they participate, how we clarify who's going to get to do what and what we're going to do. If I'm the only person in a community with a desire for education, then who's going to be the teacher and who are going to be the students? If I'm the only person in a community looking for a place to heal, who's going to be the doctor? Who's going to be sympathetic and kind to me bringing in suffering and loss? And when you look at church leadership, Leah and I as pastors and our leadership, how do you see us? Do you see the, the pastor as teacher, primarily like a professor? You need to see my degrees and my credentials. Do you see me as a coach or a cheerleader or as a motivational speaker? Do you see me as a parent who's here to give you correction and tell you what you can and cannot do? Or just a spiritual guru, right, that I should have all the answers. I should be a prophet and a sage, and I, I should have all the answers for anything you bring up to me, and I should be able to explain all scripture right on a whim. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> How comfortable should you be in church? How comfortable should you be? 
Should you come in here and have all of your needs met so that you feel patted on the back and encouraged? Or should you cringe slightly when somebody stands up and you don't know what's going to come and you're off balance? Who's included? What decides? Who decides? So largely, historically, in our culture, it's been a teaching perspective. That's largely how we got to here when I'm talking about this, right? We largely had the understanding that, that the church is a place where we need to educate people on what the gospel is, and we need to clarify and give questions and, and, and get rid of confusion. So the things that we don't know, we need to learn. That ignorance or misunderstanding or confusion, those are the great challenges. Those are the things that we want to try to overcome as the church comes in. The, the understanding is that if people really understood the gospel, well, of course they're going to say yes. That's, that was the, the, the premise that led to kind of the, the pulpit being a place of teaching, right? That this is the central part, is the message that is shared. And if everybody understands this, if everybody got this, then we're all on the same page. And this kind of follows with the fact that reason has been on the rise in America and in the West for a very long time. Reason is king. Mystery is not something that we celebrate, but reason and understanding and logic really makes sense. Scientific advancements, all of these things ring true, saying that's got to be it. If we can prove it, you know, beyond a shadow of doubt, we're doing what we need to do. And please see that this is not the only way. That's how we got to here. But this is not the only way. What about experience? What about those who might say, I don't know, and yet I still believe? This is John 9. I want you to hear this from that perspective. There's a man who was born blind and Jesus healed him, and this is the follow-up to the miracle. So just that's the background. <laughs> now let's see what happens after somebody's been healed. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you, what have you to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? We know he is our son, the parents answered. We know he was born blind, but how, can he, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had, deciphered, who had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man and who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man's a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Guy's a little cheeky. I mean, if you really read this, this is, this is quite funny. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. I love this. I think this is so important for us to understand as a church. Sometimes we need to marvel 
Have we lost the ability to marvel in the mystery and the wonder of who the Lord is? When we look in the night sky, do we calculate everything and just think, oh, this is it, this is the scientific answer, I know that those are gas giants, I know that, that that's a planet, that's a star, or do we look at it and just say, I have eyes to see into the depths of space, and my God who loves me created every one of those dots of light. And if we read scripture, do we read it to say, now I understand exactly how this thing came, or do we actually understand, my God somehow made a way for me to come back? that his love reaches into the depths and pulls me forth. I don't understand it. I don't get it. But I want to experience the love that has made such a way possible for me. I worship a God who's beyond me. And so because of that, I wrestle and I struggle and I question and I confess you alone are God. And from Job, he says this, Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. If that doesn't cause you to pause and say, this is a weird thing that we celebrate, (laughs) just think about that again. Even though he slay me, the Lord kills me, (laughs) the Lord has put me down, yet I will hope in him. Church, we've got to marvel at this. We have to understand that this is not just a book of, of answers. This is a book of wrestling and struggling and questions that encourage us to not just read the page and say, well, that's done, that's handled, now I have the answer, but say, Lord, I come to you. Would you continue to speak? Would you draw me close to you? Thank you for making a way. Thank you for speaking to me in a way that encourages me to come closer to you. Thank God for the word of God. There are no pulpits in scripture. There are sermons. (laughs) There are speeches, there are masterful defenses and explorations of the gospel, but there are so many more explorations and experiences of the gospel. So many people who encounter a God who comes close to them and just leaves them reeling and changed forever. That's an amazing part. I I, I think about this, you know, often, for the most part, the people whom we read about didn't have as much as we have. Abraham had nothing. He didn't have the word of God. He didn't have a synagogue. He didn't, he didn't have a temple to go to. He had none of that but the voice of God calling him. David had very little. Paul was writing it himself. You know, what, what can they do to figure out what church should look like when there's no church that exists for them to figure that thing out? They're working it out in context, and those are the letters we have. That, that's the work that we have. That's the history that we have. That's how we got to hear people listening to God and saying, I want to do more. I want to understand. I want to take what worked there and not recreate that, but take the evidence of what the Lord did there, that that heart of love, that heart of compassion, that evangelism, that, that experience of the gospel, and go forth and say, more of that, please. And more of that so that we can go somewhere else with it. Because we're not in Israel any longer. We, we've crossed oceans you know, we don't have a, a, a Jewish history, most of us, I actually have some Jewish relatives, but we're, we don't have a Jewish history, so we don't even understand the context for that, right? So what do we do here in 2023 in America, in the South, with the, the history that we have, with re- the, the laws that we have, with, with culture going where it's going, with technology as it is? What does the church look like here today? Is it recognizable? This doesn't negate the church. It does the opposite. It elevates the church. It elevates us. It elevates what we've been given because we've been given this history. We've been given a family that's shown us a way, that's shown us what kindness looks like, that's shown us how to figure out conflict, that's shown us how to worship, that's shown us how to pray. 
I love what Lee was saying, that these Sundays when the kids start in us, this isn't just like a little nicety thing that we do on the side and we just want to kind of, you know, oh, isn't it cute and sweet? No, it, it matters. What are we giving to the next generation? If, if they just have, have movies and they just think, oh, this is the movie day, I, I get to enjoy this and eat some popcorn, or do they actually take with them an experience that this is what the community of saints does, that they include us, that they, that they don't shame us for speaking out of turn, that they, they make space for me to be present and to learn songs that I don't know and to sing things loudly and out of tune. Is there place for that in the kingdom of God? Absolutely there is. Let's figure that out in context. So may the word of God, may the church, may the sacred community propel us further, deeper, closer than those who have walked before us. So here in our church, as I've said before, we, tr we strive to make the, the table, not the pulpit, central. That means a great many things. It means sometimes more questions than answers. It means sometimes more stories than conclusions. It means an experience more than words. It means community and sustenance more than individuality and accomplishment. I want to say that last one again because I actually think it really does matter. It means community and sustenance more than individuality and accomplishment. Let's look at scripture for this. Acts 2, starting in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. If you know your Bible, you knew I was going to bring this one up. You, you, you knew Acts 2 was going to come into the picture. People talk about, we want to get back to the, 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 the early church in Acts. This is what they're talking about. Anytime you've heard somebody say that, Acts 2 is on their minds. We're talking about the church. No surprise. Here we go. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Can I point out that this does not sound like the church in 2023? I mean, it, it's just, it's foreign. It's foreign in more ways, right? Like, where, where's the coffee? You know, where, where's the announcement going to fit into this plan? Every day? Not to mention, too, they sold all they had and shared everything in common? Like, come on. Like, you know, I, I, I like my four walls. I like my, like, like we're, are we advocating for a commune here, as Jessica has always advocated for a commune here? <laughs> so... <laughs> I want to tell you, though, hear this. This is not an ideal for us to reach back and try to recreate. It's not. This is what it looked like when they were doing it in their context. This isn't something that we should try to formulate, try to go back and make work the same way in the same kind. It, it wouldn't work today for a number of reasons. Also, culture would think that you're a cult, and it's weird, and <laughs> I, I don't think that people are going to be added to their number daily, Right? But we have this drive sometimes to reach back and to say they were doing something right. Or if we go to a great conference, right, and the Spirit of God came, we want to go back and we want to try to recreate that. We have a good moment and we say, how can I take that good thing and just 
bring it here. And so we start singing the same songs, you know, or, or, or we start doing the same thing. We, we turn the lights to the same level. Like, oh, the Holy Spirit came when they were at <laughs> right at 35%. That's the, the sweet spot to try to do this. And we try to recreate this. And when we try to recreate these things, we're not actually pressing in to what the kingdom of God's doing today. We're reaching back to our own history, to our own selves, and to some story that we're telling ourselves, trying to say, I want that same thing again. Look at scripture. How do you heal a blind man? Jesus doesn't do it the same way. Sometimes he makes mud. <laughs> Sometimes he prays. Sometimes they, all these things. He doesn't do the same thing the same way twice. So why are we trying to recreate an experience of the first century church? Instead of saying, what was it they had that was of God? Look at their generosity. Look at their kindness. Look at how the gospel exploded. Look at how they understood grace and redemption in a way that was contagious through an entire community. Look at how they stood against the culture that they were in. Those things are a wonderful exploration. What does that mean for us to do that today? How do we do it here and now? I've got no theology that lets me understand that God's pulling us backwards to an ideal. If our understanding of why we exist is to get back to truth, to get back to when things were done right, I don't think we're staying in step with the Father. If anything, he's always calling us forwards. He's always calling us onward towards the fulfillment, the satisfaction, the new things always. He's not calling us to be a first century Luddite commune. Everybody get rid of your phones when you walk through the door. Technology free, they didn't have them in the first century. The church, though, I think can be seen as a refuge in a wonderful way, right? It can be seen as a cliff to shelter from the storm. It could be like an anchored platform in a raging sea. But I think for some of us that becomes nostalgic. An unchanging memory in your history, maybe a, a good childhood place where you felt safe, that you try to get back to, like that old-fashioned religion. And I think we need to fight the tide on that one. From where the church has been, may we recognize the good and bring that into our own culture, our own context, our own daily lives. What was there? Communion, bread, generosity, signs and wonders, praise and worship, growth. Amen to all of that. Yeah. I love that the vineyard has a value, context, you know, culturally relevant mission. What do we do here? Well, where are we? We're in Holly Springs. What does that mean? What does the gospel look like here and now? That's our job. There's no formula for that. We press in and be led by the Holy Spirit. It's an exciting adventure. And the fact is, if we try to recreate things, it becomes boring and repetitive, and kids don't want to stay in here because it's just going to be <laughs> Josh talking again, and I don't understand what he's saying. He uses phrase, he's this navel-gazing like three times in the same sermon. It's weird and boring. I don't want to be a part of it. This should be an amazing experience of pressing onward and saying, Lord, what are you doing here? And, and am I a part of it? So again, Hebrews 10. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. All the more. The day's, the day's closer now than it was back then. <laughs> Maybe that, that's how time works, right? We're getting closer. May we do this all the more. Not going back and try to do it in the same way, in the same rhythm, but we, may we do it all the more as the day approaches. Spur one another towards love and good deeds. That's for you. That's for us. That's what we want to be about. 
all the more. We started somewhere, but we're going somewhere better and deeper, not backwards, not stagnant. We don't want to maintain. We don't want to maintain. Here's something that was really revelatory to me in the, in the past year, and, and I'm going to try to give this to you in cliff notes form, but you're going to hear it probably a lot more, not just in this series, but over the next year. Um, it's really a, a wonderful way of understanding this. Hear this clearly. Christendom is not, cr- is not Christianity. All right? I'm going to, this is going to be a thing that probably is why the kids tune me out, and I understand that. That's fine. But pl- try to hang with me here. Christendom is not Christianity. And when we talk about this, what, what do I mean? So often the church finds itself fighting for Christendom instead of experiencing the gospel. Mm-hmm. All right? There's a big difference here. When, when Christ comes into the room, Whenever there's followers of Christ who are engaging with the gospel, who are experiencing new life, Christianity increases. And our love and our grace and our forgiveness and all those things increase. And as Christ followers are in a community, Christendom begins to increase. Christendom is the effect of Christians in culture, okay? So what happens is as Christians become more a part of this, then all the effect of grace and forgiveness and goodness and mercy and kindness begins happening. Laws are changed. One of the great experience of this that they talk about in the Welsh revival, their their, uh, animals of burden would no longer respond because people were no longer using curse words to tell them how to go. They used to curse at their donkeys and tell them how to go. The animals didn't recognize kind speech (laughs) as as Christendom took root. But those things are not in themselves Christianity, right? Right? They're, they're, They're good things. They're the effect that Christ came but they are not in themselves the gospel. So, Christianity comes, Christendom increases, and that's the influence and effect of Christians, and that's good. But when we start fighting for our own influence, when we start fighting for our own effect on culture, we have to understand we've reversed this. We've made the, the, the tail try to wag the dog, and I tried this last night. We got Hugo in the house. I shook his tail. It didn't make him happy. It made him annoyed, <laughs> right? And when the church is trying to fight for our own influence, instead of just being the Christians that we're called to be, we've completely mistaken this. It, it, we're, we're fighting for the wrong things. We're, we're not even called to fight for this. We should be influential because we're Christ followers and let things go where they will. We should be making more Christians, not saying, why aren't you listening to me? I'm following Christ. We're so obsessed with influence and culture that we're not being who we're called to be as the church because we flipped this whole paradigm around. I already mentioned navel-gazing. This is the third time now. Fourth time? Christy Wimber, uh, actually John Wimber's daughter, uh, said this, preach the gospel, feed the poor, advance the kingdom, Losing focus only distracts our call. I always remind myself, the enemy often uses the church to distract the church. Are we so obsessed with who we are being and what our influence is that we're no longer doing the things that we've been saved to do? Are we actually advancing the kingdom of God? Are we so concerned about the songs that we're singing or what our other churches down the street are doing or or whether or not we're a part of this political or that political and all these sorts of things where we're worried about influence rather than just advancing the kingdom of God. I understand that we don't want to speak against the Lord's bride, but we have to be self-knowledgeable and self-aware to own our shortcomings and to help our brothers and sisters when it starts going wrong. What makes us, church, a city on a hill? 
This, this is the, I mean, Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. What makes us that city on a hill? Are we living up to that identity? I think if we have a selfish spirituality, if we are concerned with our own personal eternal destiny, if we are concerned about getting justice and grace for myself, we are setting ourselves up not to be a city on a hill, but a single guy in a tent on a hill that is easily overlooked, and this whole parable breaks down. The sacred community is a city on a hill. To say it another way, how much of our culture is striving to be isolated? Our culture is not the sacred community. I want to be the king of my castle, we say. I did it my way. I pulled myself up on my own bootstraps. We have lanes where you can drive if you happen to have a second passenger in the car because we're so used to being individualistic that I'm going this way by myself that that's the three lanes are for individuals, one lane for if people have more than one person in their car. What a strange world. What a strange culture we've created. Is there sacred community happening in this world naturally or is the church somehow different? You want the corner office by yourself, not to be in the bullpen with all the common folk. We can get in our car, drive alone, work alone, drive back, get in the garage, and not see or interact with anybody. The lifeblood of the church is community. Culture is pulling away. You don't answer your phone. You, you, you text. You don't stop by and announce. That's weird and freaky, my kids tell me. Where's culture going? Where's community today? Here's the thing. I'm not saying, again, that we need to try to return or preserve culture. I already dismissed that idea. But we need to rethink and understand where we are and what we bring to the table. Who we are called to be in relation to where the world is going, to let our light shine, to let God's truth and mercy come in a way that it can be received, that that, that evangelism, that the experience of the gospel is not, con- is not limited to those in this room, but can actually be shared and enjoyed broadly. And I need help in thinking this through. I'm no guru. That's not our model. (laughs) This critique might be generations old. People have been saying this. But today, church, we bear this burden for our community. We are called to be the community. If we are not being this community, nobody else is going to do it. If we are not bringing the light, if we are not bringing Christ, who is? And this isn't to disdain any other churches, but we have a specific calling. We have a specific responsibility with what we've been given, with the grace that we have, with the people that we have. Are we living up to that? So my conclusion on the matter is this. We need to examine what we do. We need to remain true to our purpose and calling. Quite frankly, it can't be top-down, nor remain an idealistic hope or longing. This is just another place to to read the same book and sing the same songs. Why? (laughs) I'm not interested. I want us to join together and explore the most interesting questions about life. How and why? What matters and and what doesn't? Can this be true? Is the gospel real? Does it matter? By nature, this can't be done alone. It has to be done together as we explore this in community, not top-down. So that's the invitation, church. Are we going the same way? Has God called us together? Are we facing down the same challenges? Are, do we have the same enemies? Or are we making our own enemies up as we go along? So for some of us, as we move to ministry, you can come back up. It's the formulaic part, you know, in the service. This is where worship leader comes back up. 
Some of us, I think we need to repent because we've mistaked uh, the kingdom and the church for being each other. Um, we don't understand the, the differentiation. And it, it's really limited our, our understanding of these things, and, and it's, it's, it's confounding to us to even try to have this conversation. You don't know where to go from there. And it's like, well, th- this is all brand new, and I don't know what to do about that. Some of us need to, to uh, repent of our disdain for the church. I mean, I get the church hurt is real, but it's a sacred community. How do we lovingly, in love, in grace, in forgiveness, not give a, a blank check and a, and a free pass for the wrongs that have been done, but call it to repentance because our God is good? And how, how do we show the city on a hill as it's meant to be without hurting our brothers and sisters, but actually allowing healing? So for some of us, though, we still need to heal from that. Because you have been wronged. You have been hurt. And I think that we as a church can have a part to play in that. Even if we're not the ones who have wronged you, we can say on behalf of Christian brothers and sisters, I'm so sorry, that's not our father. That institution that did that, that, that's not the best of us. That's not what God intends. That's not who we are. And I'm so sorry. This world, we have shortcomings. And that's, that's, that's a wrong, that, that's an evil, that's a sin done to you. And we repent of that. We turn from that and we reject that. And we can pray that over you. For some of us, I think we just need to have hope and believe that there can be a better way. That community can mean more to you than what you might think it is. Maybe you, you just want to come in here, drop off your kids, have a little bit of peace, and then get on with your life. And I want to tell you, I think it can be more. Maybe you need that hope to believe that sacred community can be more to you than child care for a few hours on a Sunday. I think there's some people here, though, that are actually called to be more, to be imaginative and creative with me in this. Because like I said, I, I'm not going to have these answers. If you're coming to, to hear me say, this is exactly how we should be doing it in Holly Springs, and this is exactly our, what's going to get us to be the winning community in 2023, no. But if you have something stirring in your heart, let's figure this out together. You have a part to play here. You have a gift to give. You're a part of this body. Let's figure this out together. And finally, it is a new year. I want to acknowledge that. You know, maybe apart from my sermon whatsoever, you're just feeling drudgery, maybe dread, or maybe hope. Maybe you can look at where you're at and you can say, this isn't where I wanted to be. Here's yet another January. Here's, here's yet another year. And, and what have I done with the past year? Am I going where I want to go? I, am I going to have another five years of exactly the same progress? Well, you know, I want to tell you that there's hope. There's hope in the presence of God to engage with you in a way that you're not being overworked, but you have overflow, where who you are is accounted for and understood and encouraged. So what we do here, and there's a reason why, is we pray for each other. This isn't just a, a default blessing as you walk out and, and it's optional for you to in, engage in or not, it's an encouragement for you to engage. This is kind of why it matters. This, this, is, this is where the church gets to be the church, where we pray for each other and we engage with each other. We, we listen to our Father for each other. So if you need prayer for any of those things, if you, if you feel something stirring in your heart, come forward. So Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a hope that it's not by accident that we're together. 
but you've given us mission. You've given us purpose. You've given us gifts. And that as the sacred community, we have a role to play. We have work to do. We have enjoyment and satisfaction to be found as we press in and say yes and amen. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill this room. Fill our hearts as we love each other, as we serve you as our God, as our Father, as our King. And church, I bless you in this new year to go and experience the fullness of the kingdom of God, the great adventure of understanding and seeing the kingdom of God come in and around and through us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.